When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. CLNS's Patriots coverage is powered by our exclusive wagering partners at betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your welcome bonus. Yeah, we don't usually do these in the morning, but it's Evan Lazar and Alex Barth on the Patriots Beat podcast here on Saturday morning. I hope you got your coffee. I got mine this morning, and we're going to talk some Patriots football. We wanted to take the off day. The Patriots, of course, had the in-stadium practice last night. Off day today, back out there tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern, and Alex and I will both be out there to discuss everything that happens at Patriots practice, which I would anticipate on Sunday is going to be back in pads and full contact. But last night, just really quickly, Alex, we saw the in-stadium practice. I think it was more about nostalgia and just kind of an opportunity to get fans back in the stands. It wasn't an intense practice. It was a walkthrough practice. The players afterwards talked about there's some little things here and there that that are helpful about these types of practices to, to sort of get a game simulation in. Quinn Nordine was kind of this this story of the night, I would say. Kinda, if, you want, if, you want, if you want to grab a football perspective, right? If you want to look at anything from a real football analytical perspective, Quinn Nordine going 10 for 10, two plus 50 plus yarders at the end to win the game for both teams. A handshake from Bill Belichick at the end of practice after a really good night. There was no live kick rush right that that's the one sort of exception to it for Quinn Nordine but just quickly uh kicker guru Alex Barth give us your thoughts on Quinn Nordine I mean 57 yards is 57 yards and yeah no no pass rush you do factor that in but he he hit cleanly from 57 we really saw for the first time last night right we talk about his leg and you can tell it's powerful we really saw it to scale last night um and he was 10 for 10 and accuracy has been his biggest problems. He hit 72% of his kicks in college. He's now 16 for his last 18. He went six of eight at the end of practice on Thursday. And with Nick Folk not practicing, he's, ta- he's taking advantage. I used this term yeah. at the end of the last show. He's doing everything that he needs to do right now. And I don't know if he's done enough to pass Folk yet. Because again, Folk's been so reliable for so long. This has been a good week for Quinn Nordine. But right. You know, you're you're entering the Patriots have a decision to make here. Do they wanna keep letting him kick and keep letting him work? And his stock's only gonna continue to rise, and then maybe you lose the ability to get him onto the practice squad if if another team needs a kicker, or do you say, Okay, we've seen enough, you bury him, and then you get him on the practice squad and you try to revisit next year and you stick with Nick Folk. So I think we're kind of at that crossroads right now with Quinn Nordine with the first preseason game coming up. Certainly, do they let him kick in that? Is it just Folk? Can Folk kick? They may right. need Nordine to do it. I we don't know why Folk hasn't practiced. Yeah, he was out there could, last night. They could, I guess, in theory, throw Jake Bailey out there if they're really too very concerned about it, right? And I mean, it well, is just a preseason game, so it's not like if the if the kicks go up and in, and it really matters all that much, right? It's more about right. prepping the process at the, at this point than the results. 
And it, it would be interesting because you get a chance to to give your backup holder, whoever that is on this team. I don't know if it's Slater, if it's Gunner. I think we actually found this out. I think the backup holder is Dietrich Wise. No, no, he's the backup right. long snapper. Long snapper. Okay, is, is yeah. Gunner the backup holder then maybe? I, I, I know we, we I, found this out the other day. I, I, I think it's Dietrich Wise and Gunner are, are the I, I think it would be Gunner it would be Gunner or Slater because it's got to be somebody who does have who does tend to work with the specialists while right. additional drills are going on. So it could be Justin Bethel too. I guess I'll throw him in there. Um, yeah. So maybe you get a chance to work that guy out. But no, I, I, you can't help but walk. You know, when they when they signed Quinn Ordine, you look and you say this guy, especially last year, was was a coin flip kicking field goals, and that it just he doesn't seem like their kind of guy. They generally, not generally, they have traditionally under Bill Belichick emphasized accuracy over power and and they want a guy who's money from 40 in instead of 50 50 from 60 in and Nordine is is the antithesis of that second kicker so it felt out of character you know oh are they really gonna trust a guy with this many accuracy issues if he doesn't have accuracy issues a guy with that leg is automatically a top 10 kicker in football if he can come out yeah. and hit 85 percent of his kicks but you're realistically in field goal I mean based on what we saw last night they're realistically in field goal range as soon as they cross the 50, which yeah. is unbelievable. So, so that was what stood out and stand, continues to stand out is that when he hit that 57 yarder last night, it was halfway up the goalpost, right? Like it wasn't even, he right. had he cleared it. He might've had 60 or maybe even 60 plus in, in that leg. And, and look, when there's no live rush, it's a much different situation, right? You don't have to get it over anybody, really. You're not worrying about it getting blocked and all these different types of things. You, you, you can maybe take your time a little bit more in the operation. But for the most part, when you see a kicker hit the back of the net and go halfway up the goalpost on a 57-yard field goal, that's the type of leg that we're sort of talking about here with Quinn North. That's, that's a rare leg. That's – yeah. Greg Zerline, like that's, you don't just, you don't just find these guys, right? These right. guys, you can't just one year think, oh, we need a powerful kicker. Powerful kicker is okay. You're maxing out at about 55, 56. That's like your average power kicker. This is, this is another level. This is, you know, you know, to compare it, I guess the best comp I can make is there's guys who are fast in the NFL and then there's guys who run a four two two forty. Right. Quinn Nordine has the four. He might have a four two flat forty <laughs> when it comes to his leg. Like that's it's rare. I would it's also rare. say he's been more accurate than advertised. So right, and that's what makes this interesting. Kick. He has been, and not to not to dwell on the Justin Ruwasser draft pick. That's not the point of this of this statement, but. He has been so much more consistent with his accuracy than Justin Rohrwasser was last year. And that's, I think, the best – obviously, we're going to compare him to Folk because that's where the competition really is this year. Right. But just comparing him to Rohrwasser in camp last year to Quinn Nordine in camp this year, it's night and day that Quinn Nordine is a much better kicker. I mean, not just leg leg power aside, right? You know, right, leg right. strength aside, just in terms of consistency and accuracy, he's a significantly better kicker than Rohrwasser ever was in training camp. So this is good news for the Patriots. If you if you you, you got to have a reliable kicker, we, right. we know Adam Vinatieri, Stephen Guskowski. You know, we've been down this road before. Guskowski was, I believe, the kicker his rookie year. Correct? I I think yeah. that they, but they, they drafted right, him. Yeah. 
they drafted him in what the fourth round. So obviously yeah. they, they were going to have him be the kicker. Same kind of same thing with Jake Bailey as beating out Ryan Allen, right? You draft a punter in the fifth round. It's more than likely going to uh, be that he's going to make the team. So we'll, we'll see what, as an undrafted kicker, we'll see what happens with Quinn Nordine moving forward. But I Can think I just if, d- double back real quick to something you yeah. said about, yeah. you know, last year with Rohrwasser, right? And I want to mention something that, that I said with the leg, like it's rare. You, there's guys with a leg like that. You can go out, you can find guys, you know, you could pull anybody from the premier league. They have a leg like that. It's having that leg with accuracy. And that's the thing. When they signed Nordine, it was well, okay. He's going to come in and he's going to kick the crap out of the ball, but it's going to spray all over the place. So it doesn't really matter. It's him going 10 for 10 last night. It's him putting together that consistent performance is right. why this is suddenly so interesting. We knew he had this leg that, that wasn't the question. It was, you know, okay, they brought an extra kicker. The kid's going to be, you know, buckshot all over the field. No, he is, he's putting it through. He's yeah. putting it through consistently. And that's why all of a sudden, all of a, te- all of a sudden now there's a tension on him. So if we can take anything away from Friday night's practice and we're going to move on and, and talk about week two as a whole and sort of recap the week that was at Patriots training camp. But I think if we can take as one final point, if we can take away anything from Friday's practice, I think it might have been the night where Quinn Nordine made it a legit kicker competition. Yeah. Right. I, I think that, that is the one big football takeaway. And on top of that, if you're Nick Folk, you better get back out there. Yeah. Right. Like I, I remember last year, uh, Jake Bailey um, versus uh, or, or Jake Bailey two, two, two years, years ago. ago with Ryan Allen. Yeah. And he yeah. didn't come to, to Mini OTAs. Mini yeah. Camp. yeah. Yeah. And both of us were like, Brian Allen better get back here, right? right? This guy's hitting moonshots. Like Ryan Allen's gonna lose his job, so he he better get back here and and start competing. And sure enough, I think the next day or the day after that, Ryan Allen was was back at Patriots practice right. to compete with Jake. It didn't end up mattering, right? Jake Bailey ran away with it, and and they cut Ryan Allen. I think even maybe before training camp to try to give him a shot to to make another team. But the point being. Nick folks got to get back out there because Quinn Nordine has clearly made this a kicker competition. And I think it caught Bill Belichick's eye Look, yep. you, not to get, not to put you know too much stock into Friday night practice, but there were fans in the stands. It was in the stadium, right? You know, it, right. there were some stakes here, right? And, and to see him kicking in Gillette stadium like that, I, I think they got to give him a preseason game. To, make, to, to see him do it in live game action and, and, and make sure that he's going to have a clean operation and everything. But last night, Friday night, the night that the kicker competition truly heated up for the Patriots. I, I love it. Here's when I knew he had Bill Belichick's attention. It was halfway through practice. I think this was his fifth of 10 kicks. And he's lining up to kick an extra point. And Bill called the timeout. Bill yeah. iced him. Tried to ice and him. And I think... I, he, I think that was when he realized, okay, this kid's more than just, you know, doing the procedure out here. I want to see if I can screw with him a little bit. That was, that was when I kind of was like, oh, Bill's paying attention to this kid right now. So, All right. I mean, he iced him on an extra point in an in-stadium walkthrough. That's, don't, don't let anybody tell you there weren't stakes last night. All right, ten, 10 minutes on Quinn Nordine. That's what the people wanted, though. I, I, I could tell coming off of that practice last night that they wanted, the to, story. Hear, they wanted to hear about Quinn Nordine. But let's Where were in. you when? let's get into some of these position battles. Let's go position by position here on the roster. Uh, Let's try to keep this in under three hours though, Alex. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Let's try to do it as quickly as we can. Uh, Cam Newton, 
versus Mac Jones, start right at the top with the quarterbacks. I think the interesting part about it with Cam and, and kind of to talk big picture narratives and then we can sort of break down the individual play for each QB. This is actually going on, I think, almost simultaneously in San Francisco right now in 49er camp where Jimmy G looks pretty good. Right. Jimmy G's practiced yeah. well. He looks pretty good. But Trey Lance is coming on faster than anybody in San Francisco could have expected from a mental standpoint. Right. He's grasping the concepts. He's running the offense. He's putting things on time and on on schedule. And he's coming along faster than anyone would expect. And Jimmy G's not done anything similar to Cam. Cam has not done anything to lose the starting job, right? He's played right. pretty well throughout training camp. He's still got the same, you know, kind of bravado and leadership and all that type of stuff that we know Bill Belichick really likes about him. So Cam has not lost the job by any means. But I think Mac Jones, especially the last two days in that third uh, Thursday padded practice when he put on a show late in practice, it started to come on for him and it started to click in for him really. And that's the question is Cam has done nothing to lose the starting job. I wouldn't say he's necessarily taken the starting job, you know, taking the bull by its horns, but he's done nothing to lose the job. And Mac is maybe coming along a little bit faster than they expected. It's, it's a difficult kind of decision, I think coming up here because maybe not, the first preseason game, but by the end of the Eagles preseason game, two weeks from Thursday, right? Or this past Thursday, the, right. Eagles, the Patriots play the Eagles. I, I think that they need to fit, you know, kind of definitively pick here, right? They need to pick a path. They, and and I, maybe they already have, right? We've discussed this, that, that Cam is the starter. That's what Bill Belichick says. And maybe they feel like they, they already have, but, they are giving Mac Jones every opportunity under the sun to try to take this job, right? They're giving him the reps. I think they're going to give him the reps in the preseason games and the joint practices as well to show them something. So at some point, I think after that Eagles game, they truly need to pick a road and go down it because these are two very, very different quarterbacks. So at some point, you got to get your offense headed in one direction over the other. Yeah, I, you know, it goes back to something I said before camp. I don't think Mac Jones can win the job. I think Cam Newton can lose it. And just with Cam's experience in, in both the NFL and he does have more experience in the offense, I, I think they're going to lean with him until they can't. And Mac has obviously made a great push. And I think the real battle, like, I, I don't think week one's a question. Cam Newton starting week one, I firmly believe that. I think pending an injury, nothing's going to change that. Yeah. What I think the battle is, so... The way I look at it, Mac Jones has a checklist. He has, call it 15. I, I'm just pulling that number out of thin air. I, it's, it's probably 100 things long. But let's say he has 15 boxes he has to check off, and he can't be the starting quarterback until he checks those boxes. Now, some of those boxes can't be checked until the regular season starts. He's got to learn how a game week works, how you actually in the NFL prepare for an opponent. You can't check that box until you do it. So right. that right away rules him out of starting week one. But to me, it's how many of those boxes can Mac get checked now before the season starts? Because the fewer boxes he has to check once the season begins, the sooner he can realistically take over. And what I think Mac Jones has done the past week is start to check off a lot of those boxes. Yeah. So he's not, you know, the list isn't done yet. And again, it's, it, he doesn't have enough time to, to completely get it done. He's not going to have the opportunities to get it done between now and the start of the regular season. But 
I'll go with a bigger number because 15 is not enough to make my point. Let's say it's 50, right? If he checks off 30 items during camp, it's a lot quicker for him to finish it once the regular season starts versus if he only checks 10 items off. And now, okay, he's got a long way to go once the regular season starts. And there's just less opportunities because you're not in training camp. You're not in practice mode. You're getting ready for games. There's not going to be as many opportunities. He's not going to be able to check things off as quickly. So uh, I think that, you know, the more boxes Mac checks now, the better. And he spent the last couple of days checking a lot of boxes. Yeah. And, and back to Cam quickly, because I, I think that yep. Cam has improved. And, and Josh McDaniels has mentioned this as well, that he sees it, right? That Cam gets the why. He understands what they're doing better. He understands the offense better. His timing in the offense, I think, has improved a little bit. And you look at that last padded practice. He made a really nice throw along the sideline to Johnny Smith put it out there for Johnny Smith. Kyle Duggar was in pretty good position to make a play on the football. He put it only where Johnny Smith was going to be able to catch it. Johnny Smith was able to kind of extend a little bit, tap the toes in bounds, and it was a really nice throw. But then later on in practice, uh, Nelson Aguilar was crossing over the middle of the field and uh, on what's called kind of like a seek route, right? Where basically you're crossing over the middle. If it's middle of the field closed, you're going to look for a spot to sit the route down. If it's middle of the field open, you're going to run the post or run the crosser. But if it's middle of the field closed, you're going to look for a spot in the middle of the field to just kind of sit your route down in front of the post safety and get open in, in that like kind in like a little box in a little area right. in the middle of the field. And Nelson Aguilar read it correctly. He sat the route down and Cam Newton kind of hesitated in the pocket, patted the baby a little bit, and then he threw it, right? And by the time right. he threw the football and got it there, J.C. Jackson closed on Nelson Aguilar and broke up the pass. And those are the types of little hesitations and those are the types that got to see it open, lack of anticipation that we sometimes see creep in. Whereas with Mac. Even when he is making mistakes, I feel like he is making mistakes, good, almost good mistakes, right? Where he is trying to do the right things. He is trying to throw with anticipation or throw a receiver open. Like the interception that he had to Johnny Smith, uh, right? Tipped in the air and Devin McCourty caught it off the ricochet, right? On that play, he had the right idea, right? It just didn't go his way. And I, I think in a lot of ways, when you watch that play back, if you're McDaniels and Bo Hardigree and you're in the quarterback's room with J- oh, with Mac Jones and you watch that play back and you say, Mac, you know, that that was the right idea. You, you He had the, the corner, I think it was Kyle Duggar, had outside positioning on Johnny Smith. He tried to back shoulder Johnny Smith open up the seam and it deflected off of Johnny Smith's hands and went into Devin McCourty's lap. It's an unlucky bounce, right? It, it, it's, right. it's not it hit Johnny Smith on both hands. They just weren't really on the same page, hundred percent of what was going on in that particular play. You iron those things out. So what I see with Mac is efficiency, rhythm, timing, anticipation. And we talk about these things so often with this offense, right? Everybody's seeing the picture the same and the ball coming out on time and in rhythm so that people can make plays with the ball in their hands. I think that, throw that he made and there was a ton of really good throws that he made in that sequence on Thursday that everybody was talking about but the throw that he made to Nikhil Harry where Nikhil Harry was breaking inside and he hit him in stride and Nikhil Harry ran for like a 40-yard touchdown right hitting him in stride there getting the football out on time throwing it in the right spot to lead receivers up the field those are the types of things that you want to see And I think that if you continue to see these things more and more and more when Mac Jones is in the 
in the huddle under center, it's go it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to to right. stick with Cam long term. And when I mean long term, of course, I'm just talking about the 2021 season. But when you keep on seeing these things, it's going to be harder to stick with Cam. And, and the last point I, I want to make, and not to go all tinfoil hat conspiracy here, but I, I do wonder. Do Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick agree on this quarterback position? Because Belichick has made it very, very clear that he loves the attitude, the consistency, the work ethic, the leadership, all those types of things that Cam Newton brings to the table. But I can't help but think when Josh McDaniels sees Mac Jones run his offense that he feels like that's what I want it to look like, right? Like that's what I want it to be like. But Cam is Cam. And Cam is former MVP, former Heisman Trophy winner. You know, all the the bravado and sort of the gravity that he brings to the table. I, you, I, I do wonder if Belichick looks at it from a bird's eye view, forest through the trees comparison, and says, Cam is our guy because all the other players respect him and like him and all these kinds of things. Where Josh McDaniels might say, but when we get down to it with execution, play in and play out, Mac is better at, at the little things that we ask in our offense. Yeah, I, I mean, it, I think that's certainly a discussion that's worth having. I think that if and when it come the the time comes to make the change, I think Josh McDaniels is going to be the driving force, right? We know at times ownership will be the driving force between a quarterback change for varying teams. You're not going to get that here from Robert Kraft. I think if if Bill is going to be pushed to put Mac Jones in, if it's coming from anybody, it's going to come from Josh McDaniels. I do want to backtrack because you mentioned the the interception off Johnny Smith's hands and, and camps had plays like this too, by the way um, it, it's really just for evaluating all of the offense. Josh McDaniel said earlier this week, he was asked about training camp stats and he said, they, yeah. they're looking more at the process, right. the intent than they are the results. So that's a play that interception, Johnny Smith Smith. I think they look at that. They go back on the film and they look at that and they say, you know what, Mac, this was right. You had the right idea. Don't knock that out. I Cam had one too. There was a, a deep crosser to Hunter Henry, and it was a throw that, you know, I think Cam missed a lot last year. I, not missed in the sense it was inaccurate. Missed, I think, just didn't pull the trigger. And right. Hunter Henry's open. He has a step on on um, Adrian Colbert on a deep crosser. And Cam underthrew the ball a little bit, and it let Colbert get inside and jump it. But that's a play where, you know, I if I'm in the coaching room and I'm going back and I'm watching the film, I say, you know what, Cam? This was the right idea. We need this play in our offense. Figure out, you know, you got to get out there with Hunter Henry and figure out the chemistry. But, you know, that's an encouraging sign to see Cam try to make that throw. So I, I think I said this a couple of days ago. We give you the stats, and I personally try as hard as I can to add as much context to every play I put out there. But it would just take us too long to give you the con- context of every play. And there are interceptions from both guys that I think ultimately you can come away with a, with, you know, with a promising feeling from. Again, the, the Cam Newton one intended for Hunter Henry, the Mac Jones one intended for John Smith. There's been past completions that I didn't feel great about. Uh, what was the one Mac missed a, a, a couple weeks ago, a couple days ago, where I forget he checked it down, but he had Jacoby Myers wide open over the middle to the point yeah, where Jacoby Myers like doing jumping jacks calling for the ball. Pass. Yeah, he tried to throw it to it? Christian, yeah, he tried to throw it to Christian Wilkerson. But I think this comes back to just what we were saying off the top when we started talking about the quarterbacks, Cam has done nothing in particular to lose the starting job, 
right? He right. has not played poorly in camp. He's played pretty well in camp. And these are a lot of instances where they're throwing the football a lot. There's not a ton of game planning or real kind of disguise from the offense. And you don't get into some of the option runs. Like we've seen some of that out there, but it's, it's mostly at half speed and nobody can tackle camp. So he hasn't really been able to run the cam newton offense quite yet and he has done nothing to lose a job and i thought early on in training camp he was throwing the ball with much better rhythm and much better timing within the framework or within the structure as i like to say and there's a lot of good things on tape from cam newton in this training camp there's there's no doubt about that i just think that sometimes the last year cam newton does sort of creep back into the discussion every once in a while and and that is what we saw i would say particularly on wednesday and thursday of this past week was a little bit of hesitation a little bit of inaccuracy at times and and those are the types of things that you see with cam that that give you pause but at the same time he looks light years ahead of where he was last year and we've said it multiple times on the show that this is in a lot of ways, a good problem to have, right? Neither right, guy right. has looked terrible. Both guys have done good things. There's certainly places where both guys can improve. I, I think for Mac, there are still those moments where they have some rookie mistakes in there, right? Where, where he has a misread like the Jacoby Myers throw that you were just talking about, or, or maybe, you know, just kind of tinkering a little bit with ball placement and accuracy and stuff like that. And there have been a couple of instances where he's had some brain farts and, and things of that nature that you would expect from a rookie. So it hasn't been perfect from either one of those guys, but I think both guys have made progress. Both guys you can tell are getting better with each day, with each practice. I, it's a good spot to be in because they can start cam week one. They can start cam for the first six, seven weeks of the season, eight weeks of the season. They can start cam the whole year and probably have a much better record than they had a year ago. It just, you didn't draft Mac Jones in the first round for no reason. So uh, eventually I do feel like this is going to turn over. Let's go to the running backs and discuss some of these uh, battles here as well. I want to start with the lead back role with Sony Michelle and Damian Harris Damian Harris has looked great, I think. And he he just really glides down the field, which I love, especially when he gets into the open field. Those He has much longer strides, I would say. Sony's got some choppy feet, but he doesn't have necessarily the long, long strides to kind of have that home run speed like Damian Harris does. But Sony Michelle has also looked pretty good as well. I think he looks lighter. I think he looks a little bit more explosive carrying the football. So where does this go? Because I I continue to stand in the corner of both of these guys are going to get carries. This is going to be at least somewhat of a timeshare, right? It's not going to be all one guy or all the other guy. So I'm interested to see you, you know, where you're at with this one as well. I, yeah, I think it's going to be a pretty 50, 50 split. Both guys have looked good. And what I've said about the running back battle from the beginning, I don't think it's about snaps. They're going to balance everybody. I think it's about, you know, Third and one, you have a three-point lead, minute to go in the game. Who are you giving the ball to to ice it? Right. right. That's your real RB1. That's your real top running back. And we won't know until we know. I, I'm leaning Damian Harris right now just because Ivan Fears just raving about him the other day. Like, you can tell Ivan Fears, he, Ivan Fears loves this kid. And he's going to have a big say in who ends up getting that role. So I'm leaning Damian Harris, but we won't know until we know. But both guys look good, and that's encouraging. For Sony Michelle, it's the first time he's taken part in the start of a training camp in, in the NFL. He was on PUP or NFI the previous three years. So 
to see him kind of get going and, and, and look good is encouraging, but Damian Harris has looked really, really good as well. Yeah. So I, I, the two things I want to say about Sonny, one, I definitely think he looks more explosive coming through the line of scrimmage than he did last year. I, I'm not going to, like I said, I think a couple of shows ago, he, he's not going from Sony Michelle to Chris Johnson here, right? Like he, he's not, he's not all right. of a sudden running a four, three, but he does look a little bit faster within the margins. I, I also would push back on the pass catching element of it a little bit, because I don't think that Sony Michelle nor Damian Harris are going to put up big numbers in the passing game. I, I just don't, you know, they'll, they'll be out there. They'll, they'll catch a few screen passes every once in a while on first down to keep the defense honest. They'll probably be decent check down options off of play action and things like that. But when those two guys are in the game, whether it's cam or it's Mac, the, way that they are going to create yards in the passing game with Sony and Damian Harris in the game is off of play action, right? They're going to try to put that package out there. They're going to, I think the Patriots almost lean into that run ten, tendency a little bit because they want teams to jump up, right? They, they you say, Oh, we run the ball 65% of the time when Damian Harris or Sony Michelle is in the game. So that play action fake might work a little bit better because that's in the back of defenders heads that they run the ball typically with that package out there. So I I think that that sort of, we we call it predictability, but I I think that they actually like that. It's a little bit predictable at times because if they didn't, then they would throw the ball more with those two guys on the field. Right. It's just kind of that simple. Now I, I do think, that Damian Harris and Sony Michelle have both shown pretty decently in blitz pickup and pass protection. So that might bode well to kind of get them involved more in passing situations. But I don't think either one of those guys is going to be a huge catches guy ever really in this offense. I think that they really are kind of in that lead back role as pure runners. And, and that's it. Uh, what about, we, we talked a little bit about um, JJ Taylor, I think the other day, but we also want to talk about Ramondre Stevenson. Ivan fear has kind of threw some water on any fire with Ramondre Stevenson the other day. He was pretty candid about how right. far Ramondre Stevenson has to go. If that wasn't an indication that Ramondre Stevenson is going to be redshirted, I, I don't know what was, Fears last year was very, very complimentary of J.J. Taylor whenever we asked him about J.J. Taylor. This year with Ramondre Stevenson, a completely different tone, right, from the Pats running backs coach. Basically said he has a long, long way to go and is, yeah. is not, you know, has a lot to learn. And there's a long way to go for him. Yeah, red shirt season incoming. I think the yeah. message received loud and clear. And, you know, sometimes if a Patriots coach says, oh, yeah, this rookie's got a lot to learn, you just kind of, oh, yeah, you know, that's that's how they talk around there. Right. Uh, Ivan Fears is not, you know, he's one of the few guys. Who, yeah. He'll tell you what's up. He'll tell you the real deal. Like you said, he raved about J.J. Taylor last year. So when he kind, you know, when he says, hey, this guy's got a long way to go, you, you listen to it. And, you know, maybe he was so open about Taylor last year, he's trying to walk it back. That's always a possibility, but I, I think he's being straight up with us. Uh, I, I don't know that Stevenson has had the best start to camp. I don't know that he's been bad, but he's had a couple drops in the uh, in the passing game. He he missed a few days while on NFI. They can't love that. So right, I you know the running back room is crowded as it is, and I I wouldn't be surprised if we if we see a redshirt year coming for Ramondre Stevenson. Neither would I. And I do see a little bit of hesitation with him through the hole, which is obviously a mental thing, right? He's got to learn his reads. He's got to learn where the blocking is going to be. Also in the NFL, I think the difference between NFL and college, especially we saw this a lot with Sony from Georgia. And I would say we also are going to see it a lot from Ramondre Stevenson at Oklahoma. He's got Lincoln Riley designing plays there. They usually have a threat with the quarterback in the backfield as well. And 
the they run through these tractor trailer sized holes sometimes, right? Like they, right. they're, they're offensive line at Oklahoma as well. Well, the same with Georgia and Alabama, but at Oklahoma, especially in that conference, they are just paving the way for Ramondre Stevenson, right? Like he doesn't right. get touched until he's six, seven, eight yards de- behind, uh, you know, downfield. So learning the tight pit spaces and learning how to get through tight spaces and what's an NFL hole versus a big 12 hole is two very, right. very different things. And that early in the early going of training camp, I think for rookie running backs is difficult because it's the same for a quarterback trying to throw downfield into a tight window, right? An NFL open receiver is much different than a college open receiver. I think with Ramondre Stevenson, we're seeing the same thing where there's a hole there an NFL running back hits it and gets through the hole A college running back coming in in his first training camp as a rookie is saying, where am I supposed to go? You know, that, that's not, right. that's not a hole. That's an NFL hole. So it's, it's funny. I, I like to use this, this example because, you know, remember when there was that whole thing where, with that year, the Browns are really bad. It was like, can Alabama beat the Browns? And, and we had that right. whole conversation. So I, I looked at it like this and I'm going to use my mention one random athlete per show card. Last time it was CC Sabathia. I'm going to keep it football's time. It's going to be Trent Richardson. Um, a big part of Trent Richardson's issue at the NFL, and I'm not saying Ramondre Stevenson is going to be Trent Richardson. I'm just You're right. This is the extreme example of this. You know, well, you know, Trent Richardson goes from running behind the Alabama line to running behind the Cleveland Browns line. And the Cleveland Browns line is, as a whole, five better football players than the Alabama offensive line. Those guys have been in the NFL, they have experience. The thing is, the difference between Alabama's the difference in skill level between Alabama's offensive line and the guys they're facing versus Cleveland's line and the guys they're facing is much smaller. And that's the adjustment. This was the same with Leonard Fournette. He ran crazy at LSU behind a great offensive line. He gets to Jacksonville. The offensive line one-to-one is better, but compared to their competition is much worse. And you have to adjust. Trent Richardson was used to not having to face a defender until he was five yards behind the line of scrimmage. He never had to make a defensive lineman miss. He was just automatically getting to the second level. Now he gets the NFL and he's got, you know, athletic defensive ends who are athletic as athletic as a college linebacker meeting him two yards in the backfield. That's not what Ramondre Stevenson's going through, obviously. And the Patriots offensive line is very good compared to the rest of the league. I, um, the, the, it's just, you know, it goes back to, he had, such incredible openings at Oklahoma, those don't exist anymore because the game is different. Right. So you you have to keep that in mind. And that's part of the reason the Patriots redshirt these guys. I think running back is one of the biggest adjustments of any position from college to the pros. I think quarterback is the most, uh, wide receiver is probably the second, and then I'd say either corner or running back is third. Um, so, you know, they just want to make sure that these guys are comfortable before they give them consequential reps. I think we're going to see Ramondre Stevenson a ton in the preseason. Oh yeah. They're going to want him to get as much look as, as, as they can. And then they're going to, you know, put him on the shelf and, and get him ready for 2022. Yeah. Really quickly. Cause we we're, we're running behind already. JJ Taylor, not a whole lot to talk about with him so far in training camp, uh, but I, he's been I, better. I don't know about that. He's been what? He's been he's been better, I would say. Thursday, I think, was probably his best day. Ivan Fears mentioned about this, and I was actually surprised that he said this. That JJ Taylor is a little bit more of a 
of a game player than a practice player. He tends to pop a little bit more in games than he does okay. in practices. The Jimmy Garoppolo effect. Sure. Yeah. So I want, maybe we get into the preseason game. I think there's a very good chance that we get into the preseason game on Thursday night and JJ Taylor looks terrific. Right. I, I just think that for some guys, the lights come on when they, when they get into, in, right. into a game situation. I, I, I don't know. You, you might have a differing opinion with, than me on JJ Taylor. I haven't seen anything remarkable from him or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, that's my opinion. I, I thought he was a guy who was really set to make a jump. Again, that running back in the second year where he has some familiarity. And I don't know that he's popped. He struggled on special teams. He's dropped three or four punts. Um, and you know that's something they're looking at. And again, with the running back room so crowded, Brandon Bolden off to the great start that he's off to. Right. I I, I, I don't know what they're going to do with J.J. Taylor. I don't know. I, I'm not ready to take him off the team just yet. But... I'm I'm getting there. If he doesn't if he doesn't yeah. go out in against Washington or Philly or one of these preseason games or maybe joint practices, I I, I don't know. He definitely has not looked what what I what either of us were expecting. Right. You know, we and really it, thought that he would have a huge camp, and he definitely has not. I don't know that a running back overtakes him again. Brandon Bolden's been good, but I think he was going to make the team either way. But you look at a guy like Rashad Berry, who's contributing on special yeah. teams and has, has had a great start as a pass rusher. Christian Wilkerson, who again is a special teams contributor. Um, if they want to keep an extra safety on the roster, you start I, so looking I, at I was actually thinking not to cut you off, but I was yeah. actually because we're going to talk about this position group next. Okay. Jakob Johnson, right? That, so that's another one. So just the idea that six running backs is a lot. Yeah. If you want to find spot a space to keep an extra guy in another position, you're going to go right to those six running backs. I had six coming in on my roster projection. It's becoming very, very tough to justify that right now. Not that Taylor has been that bad, but you have other guys like Barry, like Wilkerson, kind of coming out of nowhere and surprising. And it, you know, you got to get that roster spot from somewhere. And again, six running backs is, especially if you're going to keep five wide receivers, if you want to keep Jakob Johnson, and then that's essentially four tight ends, you're going to keep 16 skill position players. You're going to make almost a quarter of your roster come from three positions. That, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, let, let's talk about those tight ends and fullbacks. Oh, we're going to talk about the wide receivers here too in a second. Just, I don't think there's much to say about Johnny and Hunter Henry other than they've both practiced pretty much as advertised so far. But Johnny Smith in particular, that guy's a beast. Like he is an explosive athlete. He's been great, yeah. He is huge. He's a great run blocker. He's extremely versatile. I was kind of bullish early on on Hunter Henry, and I think a big reason why is because they were working so heavy in the red zone towards the beginning of training camp. Now that they've sort of gotten into the run game stuff and gotten into the open field and, and played a little bit more between the 20s, Jonu Smith's just versatility and, and just kind of ability to do everything well. Like he does everything well. And the only thing that maybe you can say that he needs to fine tune just a little bit is his downfield route running, but he's explosive enough that he's able to still get open on more simplified route trees, right? Like crossers and, and stuff like that, or shallow crossers. He's been great on. He is a threat at all three levels as a pass catcher. Yeah. I really think. And as a run blocker, I mentioned, I think the other day that Josh Uche block where he, in, during the inside six drill where he just threw him right out of the club. He's a great run blocker as well inline run blocker, or you can detach him and move him around as kind of like a chess piece run blocker. He's a very, very good football player. And, and I think in a lot of ways, I think Nelson Aguilar is going to have a really big impact. I think Kendrick Bourne's going to be a nice signing. 
I think Johnny Smith might end up being the best signing on offense for, out of anybody this offseason. I mean, he's he is just a really, really darn good football player. So I'll, I'll go back to something you said before about Henry and Smith. And if you remember what I said the, the day we came on after they send Hunt, signed Hunter Henry, the best part to me about the Hunter Henry signing, Hunter Henry is a really good player. But the best part about the Hunter Henry signing is it made the Johnny Smith signing better because yeah. it's going to allow them to use him in a certain way. And obviously it doesn't work this way because because Smith was signed first, but having Johnny Smith is going to make Hunter Henry a better player. And I think what you just described is we're seeing that, you know, signing two great players at the same position. I'm going to cross sports here for a second, and I'm going to use another mention random athletes card. Um, the Red Sox in whatever, I think it was 2011, whatever year it was. You know, they were, they needed a third baseman. They were in on Pablo Sandoval. They were in on Hanley Ramirez. They signed both in the span of like 15 minutes. And it made no sense because they had to move Hanley to the outfield and he was a mess. And Pablo didn't get the right number of at bats. And obviously, we know what happened with him. Hanley ultimately bounced back and turned it around. But it was like there was no plan there. They were just adding talent for the sake of adding talent. Right. If there's any sport you can do that, well, if there's any sport you can do that, it's basketball. But baseball is a close second. And you saw it blow up. Football is the last sport where you can add talent just for the sake of adding talent, right? The Bill Belichick, one of my favorite Bill Belichick quotes, it's not about collecting talent. It's about building a team. And yeah. you can do both. And that's what the Patriots did with these guys. You know, they signed two to very talented tight ends, but they signed two guys with different skill sets who both bring a unique element to the offense. And the, their two skill sets happen to play incredibly well off one another. And that, you know, you're seeing it on the field now. And it's just so great to see that the idea you had in your brain back in March is it's exactly what it looks like it's happening on the field. And it's, it's just, it's brilliant. It's a great thing to see. It's a beautiful thing to see. Hunter Henry is the, the up the seam deep ball threat. He's going to bring a safe because you have to put a safety on him. He's going to bring a safety down the field. And then that leaves you. You're either putting your box safety up on John Smith, and he's going to be faster than most box safeties, or maybe a linebacker on him. And he's going to be able to torture those slower players underneath running some of the concepts you just talked about. Like you said, they'll bring him up to yeah. do sometimes. And then that opens up James White because now you're going to have, you know, all right. So your best cover safeties on, on Hunter Henry, your second coverage safety, your fastest linebackers on Johnny Smith. Now you have your middle linebacker, your slow run stopping linebacker on James White. He's going to be able to eat again this year. It all like the pieces just fit together. That trio, it the pieces of that trio fit together so perfectly when you look at how a defense is going to have to game plan for this offense. And that's a very, I'm sure you could get much more in depth about no, it. No, I, I, I just a very vanilla explanation of it. But no. if you want to get excited for something about this Patriots offense, Watch how Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith, and James Wade are going to manipulate defenses because it's going. They are going to put defensive coordinators in a pretzel. Remember the Rob Ryan yeah. face? That's going to be back this year. So, so I also would add that with Nelson Aguilar out there too, being then, able yes. to take the top out the defense a little bit and stretch the field, that I think is going to be huge for them as well. And and not to call call your guys out, but I, I was listening to Felger and Maz the other day on the way yeah. home a little bit, and. I think that they're just listening to them, listening to the callers. I think there's this general concern about the Patriots pass catchers. I have zero concerns about the Patriots pass catchers watching these practices. Zero. These guys yeah. get open. They are all playing a role that fits what they do well and fits their skill sets. Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry are playing well and are doing what 
what they signed them to do, right? Nelson Aguilar similarly doing what they signed him to do. I think Kendrick Bourne can can get open and make some plays. I think Jacoby Myers can get open and make some plays. When I look at this offense, the skill positions is not my my concern. My concern is the quarterback play, right? Yeah. Are they going to get the quarterback play that they need for this group to excel? Or is the quarterback going to hold the group back? Is it going to anchor the group? Or, or can they do enough at that position to get in as much as they want out of it. And maybe that this is just a little bit of being in camp in 2020 and watching that offense, Demir Bird, Ryan Izzo, all these guys out there. And then you come in here this year and you have professionals playing right. at those positions. Maybe that is it to a degree, but I, I am not concerned about the Patriots ability to get open and separate and make themselves available for the quarterback downfield. And you put into that, that Josh McDaniels is really just running his basic stuff right now. And they're just kind of installing the foundation of the offense and they're not game planning and they're not creating plays individually just yet. I mean, we've seen some of that stuff. I would say for Johnny, we're not really allowed to talk about what exactly he was doing, but we've seen some of those kind of design package type of plays for Johnny Smith a little bit, but wait, just wait until Josh McDaniels really opens up the, the the playbook and opens up the Rolodex of things that he's come up with. I, I think you're going to see a totally uh, revamped Patriots offense from that perspective. And if you're going to have a concern about this offense, it's not the pass catchers. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about the wide receivers now and Nikhil Harry has had a really nice camp and he's okay, probably real, real quick. Can I jump in with something you said? Yes. I, we do have to throw out the caveat again. I, I, I agree with you hundred percent so far. I'm encouraged by the pass catchers. There hasn't, been a ton of consequential reps yet like overly consequential reps so we'll see when they get to the preseason etc and and i do understand if there's some concern there because again nelson aglers has had problems with drops hunter henry's had problems with injuries john smith is more you know was signed more on potential than actual production but that that's part of the reason this is so exciting is there were all these reasons to question these guys and we're two weeks in and they haven't given those questions any validity so far We'll see when we get into the joint practices, but all indications are good right now. I'll say that. I'm not ready to stamp like, oh, they're going to be a top 10 offense this year. I'm not ready to stamp that. No, but it's not even a bad thing. Is, right. right. So far, I just don't want to hear together beautifully. And that doesn't always, that doesn't always happen right. this early. I just don't want to hear this stuff about the separation and, and, and all this garbage that's out there about they don't have a number one wide receiver. Like this is, this offense has the pieces it needs to be successful at the skill positions. And I'm just talking about the pass catchers. We're not even incorporating the run game and the, and the running backs out of the backfield in this conversation also, which we easily could. This offense has the talent at the skill positions to be a successful offense. The question is, is, is it all going to come together chemistry wise? And is the quarterback going to be good enough? It, that's it. Don't. That's that's the question. That don't last, get that's caught the up. Question. Don't get caught up in separation metrics. Don't get caught up in not having a number one wide receiver that you can draft on your fantasy team. Don't get caught up in all of that because none of that matters. They this team has mismatches. They have guys that can create mismatches. I want to talk about Nikhil Harry. Yeah. What did the Patriots freaking do with Nikhil Harry? Because this guy is playing oh. extremely well in training camp. He requests the trade. I don't think he actually wants to. I think the trade request came solely from his agent. I think his agent was looking at Nikhil Harry's long-term future in the NFL. And he was saying, you are two years left on your rookie deal. You have what, like 
I think it's 400 career receiving yards. And that, that might be too much. I might be overshooting it there a little bit. And what is your second contract in, in the NFL going to look like right now, unless your role with the Patriots improves? So I think he's come in and played terrific. I, I think that there's a role for him in this offense. I, I, I don't, he's, Honest, Jacoby Myers has, has been fine, but Nikhil Harry definitely has more catches and more kind of flashy plays than Jacoby Myers does in this training camp. I, I don't know what they do with Nikhil Harry moving forward. I don't know what his role is moving forward, but it, it's it's optimistic that he has played so well and looks so good. Yeah, it, it's funny because normally with bubble players, you know, they play poorly, they're off the roster. They play poorly, they're probably off the roster, but you go back and forth, and uh, they're bubble for a reason. There's potential. If they play good, it's like, all right, it's all clicking. They're on the roster. Nikhil Harry's the first bubble player probably in history yeah. where the better he plays, the more confusing his situation gets. Yeah. Because if he came out and he stunk, it's like, all right, he can't play. He doesn't want to be here. He's costing them money. Why keep him, right? Now he's playing well, and it's, well, you know, how valid is that trade request? What exactly is his role if he makes the team? Can he catch that group of three at the top in Born Aglor and Myers? There's it's 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 really an unheralded situation. I say this all the time. As predictable as people like to think Bill Belichick is, you do anything for 20 years, patterns are going to develop. And over the last five or six years, you've kind of been able to predict Belichick a little bit more just based on historical context. There's no historical not just Belichick. There's no NFL historical context for this. This is a brand new situation. The league just celebrated its 100th year. I don't think we've ever seen anything like this situation with Nikhil Harry and Camp. So it's hard to tell. Are they going to keep a fourth wide receiver who won't contribute on special teams and may only play 100 snaps over the course of the year? Are right. are, are, are they going to trade him? I I don't think they're going to cut him. I think that's out of the question. Oh, yeah, I think he's been the thing is like for sure. Right. But other teams know that. And in some ways, him playing so well maybe hurts his trade value because he's playing so well. So the teams know they can't that the Patriots can't cut him. So, you know, if the market's not robust and it still might not be, if it's only two teams, they may say, Yeah, we'll give you six. Go ahead, cut him. So, you know, it's almost like the, it, it really is the better he plays the tougher his situation is to evaluate. And I don't think I've ever seen anything like this before. And I don't know that we'll see it again. It really is a truly unique situation. So I I think the one thing I, that you have to decide if you're the Patriots with Nikhil Harry is Bill Belichick talked about this. He was asked about it a few weeks ago. I think, I think it was by Bob Sochi, but I, I could be wrong by the, who asked the question last off season, the year one to year two leap is something that they talk about a lot in the NFL, right? Rookies going into their second years, they're much more comfortable in the league. They're much more comfortable in their system that they're playing in with the team that they're playing with. And things start to click a lot of the times for those second year players. And they take that step forward and they take, they make that leap, right? Last year, a lot of guys that weren't good as rookies did not necessarily make that leap in year two because there was no offseason program. There was a, a abbreviated training camp. There was no preseason games. And Bill and Bill Belichick said that in a lot of ways, the 2019 draft class is almost making that leap in year two and three instead of year one to two, right? And you have to wonder if maybe it is starting to click in for Nikhil Harry a little bit. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that all of a sudden Nikhil Harry is going to be a thousand yard receiver, but Nikhil Harry being a productive NFL player, I don't think is out of the question based off of what we've seen so far. 
And if that's the case, and you're the Patriots, you did draft this guy in the first round. You did draft him 32nd overall. You thought he had ability in the draft, and he thought and you liked what he put together on his college tape to draft him 32nd overall. And maybe you don't give up on him yet, right? Maybe, maybe you you say to yourselves, last year is kind of a wash. He got the in-game experience, but we really weren't able to work with him. He looks a little bit faster. He looks a little bit lighter on his feet. He looks a little bit more confident and decisive in the way that he's in his breaks and, and just the, his movements out on the field. Last year in the year in his rookie season, Nikhil Harry was not separating at all on a horizontal cut, right? A slant, a dig, a anything over the middle of the field. He was wearing coverage every single time. Remember that throw his rookie year against the Texans where he got beat to the spot by the corner and Brady was yeah. picked off and that was kind of, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of like the big play, right? Of uh, of oh man, I mean, you're supposed to be this big body receiver and you can't even box out at the catch point. This is terrible. We have seen Nikhil Harry catch more slants, catch more digs, catch more crossing routes stuff over the middle where he has to break at the top of the route, not just running a nine route down the sideline. We've seen him run, create separation and get open more often on those types of plays than ever before. And, and you do have to wonder if maybe the year two to year three, year three leap thing could be real for Nikhil Harry. And in my opinion, I think that this is sort of trending towards keeping him and seeing where this goes. And if they can always revisit it at the deadline, they can always revisit it next offseason before they have to make a decision. Because remember, they have to make a decision next offseason on his fifth-year option, right? Which right, right now is definitely trending towards a no. But I, I just want to see maybe if it has clicked for him. And, and, and we're going to talk about the defense. We might actually have to do a second show and talk about the defense later because we've been talking about the offense for an hour. But I, I don't – part of me is hesitant because I say – uh, you know what does this say about Jawan Williams? What's this say about Mike Jackson? You know maybe the the Pats corners that he's going up against aren't exactly the best players, and and that's more what it is. But J.C. Jackson had he's had some wins against J.C. Jackson. Uh, he's had some opportunities that, that that he's looked good against some of the better co- cover corners on the Patriots. I, I I think that you have to ride this out with Nikhil Harry, and maybe he does turn into somebody that that can put up 600, 700 yards in an NFL offense. I'm not going to sit here and say that he's going to be a pro bowler and all of a sudden turn it completely around. But I've seen a a lot of really good progress from him. So there is one kind of, I guess, elephant in the room here that we're not discussing, and I don't think has been discussed during Harry's success. You know, I don't know. I don't necessarily think this is this is throwing water on the fire. I think let's just let's just put some context to it. Yeah. Nikhil Harry has been able to operate throughout camp in a way that suits his skill set, right? The one-on-ones, the jump balls, they've been using him a lot. There's been a lot of red zone reps, so he's been, you know, a lot in the red zone fades, that sort of thing. One of Nikhil Harry's biggest issues, and this is one of the things where I think his agent was not entirely right, but onto something, right, in that statement, more right than wrong. A lot of Nikhil's issues are due with the way the Patriots used him and not necessarily himself as a player. They were asking him to do things that more so play to his weaknesses than his strengths. They were trying to turn him into a technician, and that's not what he is. He's a bully ball, 50-50 ball. He's a bully ball, 50-50 grabbing wide receiver. Yeah. They, there were there were flashes where he got to do that in Kansas City in the end zone, the jump ball against the Chargers. But for the yeah. most part, they were trying to turn him into a finish. His first NFL game, he caught a, a fade ball on Byron Jones against the Cowboys. Right, yeah, and, then they, and then they didn't throw him that pass again for a year. 
Right. So to me, the, you know, all this success, it's great. It's obviously great. You love to see it. And I think his confidence was down a little bit and he's getting his confidence back. Mm-hmm. And that, so, yeah. can, that can make a difference in itself. But, you know, okay, he makes the team week one. Are they going to have him running pirouettes again? Like, are they going to try to turn him into a footwork technician again? Or are they going to let him do some of the stuff he's been doing in camp? His success hinges as much on them as it does on him. It hinges as, as much on Josh McDaniels yeah. as it does on him. And we can't, as good as he's been, and I don't want to take anything away from him. He's done everything he needed to do. But he's only going to succeed as much as the team lets him, lets him succeed. They need to put him in a place to succeed if they keep him. And they haven't done that for two years. So does that just change this year? You'd like to think so, but there's no evidence that that will or won't. We're not at that stage yet. And I don't even know that we get to that stage in the preseason. I don't think we truly know until week one. And at that point, the decision's been made. So for all of Nikhil Harry's success to actually amount to something, the Patriots have to do their part. He's done his part. He's got, he, you know, he's gotten as he's gotten as far as he can go. Now the Patriots need to bring this thing home. Josh McDaniels specifically needs to bring this thing home in the way they use Nikhil Harry. And if they're going to just throw him out with the same assignments they threw him out with last year, trade him. Because nobody needs to sit through that again. The team doesn't need to sit through that again. We don't need to sit through that again. Most importantly, Nikhil Harry doesn't need to deal with another year of that. Right. You're going to take this training camp and learn from it and use him. And, And by the way, that role is there. There was nobody else on this team who can do what Nikhil Harry brings to the table. And that's why I think that keeping him is the best answer here because when he runs those in-breaking routes, when he runs the slants, when he runs the digs, when he runs the back shoulders, that that body type and that ability to box out and the ability to use his body and his catch radius, you know, we talked about that slant that he caught from Cam Newton where he had to lay out and catch it. And he actually probably saved an interception because J.C. Jackson was right there if he didn't do that that type of play and then i think it was day one where he caught that back shoulder from cam in the end zone yep. he went down and caught it you know kind of on off the ground they don't have nelson aguilar is not doing that kendrick Bourne's not doing that jacoby myers isn't doing that christian wilkerson's not doing that maybe johnny smith and hunter henry are doing that but they don't have a wide receiver on the team that does those types of things well and as long i've been preaching this for so long but, but they have to let him do it And they have been so far, and maybe that's what they do. And I've been preaching this for so long with Nikhil, is that in order for him to unlock the downfield jump ball element of his game, right, he had to develop an underneath route. He had to because every single cornerback knew that Nikhil Harry was not going to run away from them over the middle of the field, right? If he ran a slant or he ran a dig, then nobody was afraid of him running that type of route. So every single corner was sitting on the jump ball, right? They were sitting on the on the back shoulder. They're sitting on the fade. And if he can develop some, if you go watch in a lot of what a lot of people said uh, about Nikhil coming out of college, I think it was Herm Edwards that threw this comparison out first was Des Bryant, right? That that was right. the idea of Nikhil Harry. And if you go and you watch guys like Des Bryant play, Des Bryant was a awesome slant route runner. He ran great slant routes. And that was, he needed to learn to run that route because he needed to, and, and DK Metcalf is sort of the same way, right? Slant, dig, go. That that's needs to be the route tree, right? And you need to have some sort of inbreaker to make the corners respect the fade ball. Because if you're not going to run something over the middle of the field, they can just sit all over it and they can wait for it. 
So if Nikhil Harry can run an effective slant like we've seen him run or run an effective crosser like we've seen him run at times during practice, that is going to eventually unlock those back shoulder fades. It's going to unlock the high point fades, and he's going to be able to create plays down the field, and that puts the whole package together. So I think that that's why I'm optimistic, so optimistic about what I've seen is that he has shown some separation ability on those horizontal cuts, and that is going to then unlock – the skill that we knew he actually was decent at, which is the downfield jump ball, right? The back shoulder, right. the fade, whatever. So I, I just think that that is, I, I, I see the light coming on for Nikhil Harry a little bit in the, in this training camp and you see the confidence. And I think that that might be the most important word out of anything that we've said, out of all the technique stuff and route running stuff, put all that aside. The fact that he has been so confident out there on the field and decisive and just playing football instead of thinking about playing football. I think that that is a really big element of why he's made so many steps forward. Uh, let's talk about the offensive line. I think we need to do this in two shows because we're, we're going to go two hours and we start talking. Do we want to do – for real, do we want to do two shows tomorrow? Do we want to do one in the morning before practice and then one after practice? Yeah, let, let's 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 do a we're gonna part do a two. two. We're going to pull a two today tomorrow? We're, uh, we'll see. Tomorrow? We're, maybe we'll do it Monday morning after – we'll figure that part – the second show out. But let's do a part two tomorrow on the defense because we've already gone an hour. Well, but I'm saying there's practice tomorrow too so we have to talk about tomorrow's practice okay we can figure i think we i think tomorrow's a two a day all right we can figure this out off the air let's talk about the offensive line real quick here i i don't think there's similar to johnny smith and hunter henry i can gush here about the offensive line for another hour as well but i i think the main thing that you're seeing with this o-line is that this is going to be an absolute bully. We knew that all along, but watching in particular the guard and tackle tandems, I know no disrespect to David Andrews because he's he's great too, but watching Trent Brown and Shaq Mason work together and Isaiah Wynn and Michael Onwenu work together, that is a really, really formidable line that they're putting together. We've talked about some of the concerns about the real depth pieces, right? Like, you know, I think Justin Herron's had a decent camp, but once you get beyond that at the tackle spot, it's pretty thin. And then you really have maybe a, a concern about Ted Karras's health, um, honestly, a little bit. Like, they, they definitely need Ted Karras. I, I don't want to see Alex Redmond or any of these guys making the team, right? I, I, I think they definitely need Ted Karras Although, as well. Sh- shout out to the guy in the comments who just said Alex Redmond will make the team. That's a deep <laughs> pull. Although he... He hasn't been great. He's run a couple laps. He got absolutely blown up by Dietrich Wise the other day, popped his helmet off. Um, But no, I I mean, I think the offensive line's in good shape. Where I'm at with them right now, I'm working on my first roster projection. Yeah. Is is there a chance they only keep seven guys? Bill normally keeps eight, but with the positional versatility. I think I had seven on my original. A lot of people are like, it's not enough. It's not enough. But I, I, who do you, are you really, does, is Corey Cunningham worthy of a roster spot? Like that's literally just keeping a guy to keep a guy. Right. So I I have William Sherman because I think that there is upside with him. And you know, I don't know that they want, it's, it's more about, do you want to risk losing him than like, Oh, what's he going to do in 2021? But you know, with, with the positional versatility of Ted Karras, with the positional versatility of Michael Owenu, um, I think even with the positional versatility of Trent Brown and his ability to play both tackles, and Justin Heron can play both tackles, I, they might be okay with seven. I honestly, if if I were to put an eighth, I have again, I have Sherman because of the yeah you know, potential. Yeah, I think Sherman would be the eighth guy. I mean, he well, has a go ahead. So the other guy I I wouldn't totally sleep on is Marcus Martin because yeah, he's kind of filled in on the interior. Will Ted Karras has been out in practice and he had a drop snap 
in the rain on he has, he has been snapping the ball but, and playing some center too which is important right. yeah he's out, outside of that one drop snap he's been good and there's positional versatility there as well so um that battle for the eighth guy between sherman cunningham martin could get interesting but again i i you know i wonder if they're good with seven guys because even if you keep sherman you're still i don't think sure I, I, sherman could be a healthy scratch for 16 games oh i'm sure he would be I, you know i you're probably still rolling with seven guys. And I just think the versatility might allow them to do that. So I'm very hesitant because Bill Belichick always talks about, you can never have enough depth on the offensive line. And, you know, I might keep seven if I'm playing Madden, I think I keep seven, but I'm not playing Madden. It's not my decision. Roster projection is I am guess. I I'm trying to think what will the team do? Not what would I do? And I find it hard to square that Bill Belichick would keep off seven offensive linemen. But at the same time, We've talked about how, you know, uh, this roster is very different, how unprecedented some of the depth is on this roster, and they're going to have to do some different things. goes back to what we talked about with J.J. Taylor. You know, is that the decision there? Is it, okay, we're either keeping an eighth offensive lineman and keeping that depth, or we're keeping J.J. Taylor because we think he has a future. That's not an easy decision. I can't sit here right now and tell you what the right answer is between those two. I think it's a complicated one, and, you know, with only two padded practices, we don't have enough information to fully answer it. But as we kind of enter this second stage of training camp, these, these are the, if you're following along and you know, you want to play along and do your roster projection, make your predictions, or if you want to sound smart in front of your friends, these are the kind of things you need to start thinking about this. These, these are the kind of things that we at camp will be focused on here as things go on. Right. So I went back and looked at it last year and they kept 10 offensive linemen yeah. last year. They normally keep eight or nine. There was one, I, I of course I'm I'm blanking on it now. There was one player that made the team for like a week and I think they traded him or cut him or or maybe they put him on IR yeah. right after um, it was the the center from the Bills. Was it that I, can't remember I think that was I, I don't remember, but I have to go back and check. But there was one player that made the 53 man roster, and then it was I think they immediately put him on IR to so that they could have the IR return option with the player. So they ended up keeping was it, Yachty, was it? No, I don't think so. Uh, crap, I, I don't know. I'll have to look it up. But Yelda okay. Froholt also made the team, and then they traded him, right? So they, they kind of got down to like eight or nine at one point but i think the initial 53 man roster was was nine or ten offensive linemen and we're here talking about seven it's a that's a long way right like that's that's a big big difference but like you said you have to sort of talk russell about russell bodine by the way i think is who you're thinking who is russell it? Russell Bo- i thought i thought russell bodine was on the team in 2019 because i remember talking to oh, him i thought i still so. think that's last year sometimes because COVID, COVID yeah year, so that's a yeah but that was the same thing they actually traded for him and then they cut him before they played a game yeah yeah so it, it the point being is that you have to Belichick always errs on the side of depth, right? And right. always errs on this, especially in the trenches. So the question really boils down to in this, in these COVID times with these rules, the practice squad, if you feel like a, a Corey Cunningham, or you feel like a Marcus Martin, or you feel like some of these players that these depth options could maybe get back to your, because remember there's no rules anymore about how, how long a player can, you can, anybody can be on the practice squad. Brian Hoyer can right. be on the practice squad. So if, if, if well, you, you only have, you only have, I think two of those spots. So it's not like they can, you're limited with how many veterans you can have. It's two guys with you. Know, there's two unlimited spots 
and then two okay. spots. I, I wasn't sure guys. if that still existed because of the yeah, so it's, protocols, but you have two guys unlimited and then two guys with up to, up to six years of tenure. So it's not carte blanche. You can put, you know, a bunch of 40 year olds on your practice squad. Right. Right. But y- y- there is, yes, there is some flexibility there. Right. But so you couldn't, some... you couldn't put an entire offensive line on. Right. So, so guy, right, right, right. But a guy like Marcus Martin, I think would definitely have practice squad eligibility for them. Corey Cunningham would definitely. So maybe you can stash those guys in the practice squad. And if you need to elevate them for game day, you obviously have that option now to, ele- to elevate from the practice squad for a game day active. So I, I think that there's options there of stashing. And I think that that's why I, I, air towards the side of seven or eight, maybe eight offensive linemen, because I don't know if Corey Cunningham or Marcus Martin is really worthy of a roster spot over Jakob Johnson or Dalton Keene or Sean Barry or JJ Taylor. Like I think that those guys are going to be better football players in the long term for the Patriots and are worth keeping around. So uh, that that's the element of it that I, I you wonder at, at what point do you kind of, try to stash some of these guys on the practice squad. And, and that's, I think sort of the, the conversation that they will be having is, can you kind of fit some of these guys on the practice squad versus having to keep these guys on the 53 man roster? Yeah, there, there's a couple where, um, you know, I, I think if it's a guy like Corey Cunningham, I think you can get Corey Cunningham to the practice squad. He's played what one game in the last two years, I think something like that. So if the idea is just keep seven, you get somebody in the practice squad. The only one, again, I hesitate with is Sherman. He was a sixth round pick, and some people thought he went a little low. So I, somebody he he might get claimed. If they're fine passing on Sherman, and look, he hasn't stood out in camp. I don't think he's been horrible, but I haven't seen any flashes. Um, the, the, the idea there is he's a potential five-position player. That's what's exciting about him. But you can play all five positions all you want. If you're not good at any of them, what does it matter? So... If they're ready to pass on him, yeah, it becomes a lot easier to justify. You get seven on, and then it's it's Cunningham, it's Martin. Right. Maybe they get James Ferentz. Uh, is he even still with the team right now? He's so yes, hard he to is. track of. Maybe yeah. you get James Ferentz onto the practice squad, something like that, and then at least you have that security blanket. He actually had a decent rep uh, the other day against Devon Godsha, all things considered. He's just but hard there, to keep track of. Like he's James, here and he's not. is the perfect guy to keep on the practice squad. That's a great example. J- James Ferentz is the offensive version of Nick Thurman. He's yeah. just always here, and he's never like – you never really think about him. He never is like in your face, but you, you just – you sleep a little better at night knowing he's there. Okay, so we're going to break this up. I apologize. I know some people want us to keep going for the uh, the extra hour here, but we it's the off day. Alex and I have got things to do on this Saturday, so we're going to break this Your up. Your off day. Yeah. I got to go. I got to go. That's true. That's true. Shameless <laughs> plug. Alex is going to be on 98.5 from what, 2 to 5 today? Yeah, so you can hear if you if you wanted to hear him talk about the defense, then I'm sure that he'll have some conversations on there on, on the sports hub from two to five. We're gonna uh, do this show again tomorrow morning, part two of the week two recap. The Patriots don't practice till three o'clock, so we'll fit this in in the morning and we'll talk about the defense and uh, we'll get into the nitty gritty. And so we're not rushing ourselves talking about the defense. We're gonna do right. it that way. So and then we'll do another show tomorrow night, and it'll be two a days. There, this is that. This is Alex's dream come true right now. He's going to make me do two podcasts in one day. So we'll be back tomorrow morning to talk about the defensive side of the ball. We also wasted about 15 minutes talking about the legend Quinn Nordine. So that was definitely part of the. It's, re- it's relevant. It's important. I think people enjoyed it too. 
Yes, I agree. But we'll be back on Patriots Beat tomorrow morning to, for part two, the defense on week two uh, of training camp recap. And then we will have a show either tomorrow night or Monday morning about Sunday's practice. We'll let you guys know about all that on Twitter. Follow Real Alex Barth on Twitter, Easy Lazar on Twitter. That's where you can find all the updates about the show. But until tomorrow, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody.